Hopefully in a moment you'll see why uh, that song was chosen. Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 8, verse 31 through 41. Starting the reading at verse 28, so we have a little bit of context. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what he pleases. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if these sons set you free... You will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Thus far the reading of God's holy word may bless to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Have any of you ever seen that... um, Less over-the-top version of midday television called Mori. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I hope in some cases you haven't. But Mori is fond of having people on who don't know who the father is of their child. And they will do these DNA results. And they'll film these people arguing, and then Maury will finally say, well, the DNA results are in. And it'll come out in this little manila folder, and he'll kind of dramatically, slowly open it, and he'll pull it out, and he'll say, whoever the dad's name is, suppose the dad's name is, you are not the father, or you're the father. And, of course, all kinds of sadness or screaming will ensue. It's really a horrible expression of where our culture has gotten today. But as I was reading this scripture passage this week, I kept thinking to myself, it's almost as if Jesus is claiming that he is a true descendant of Abraham. And these Jews are claiming they are the true descendant of Abraham. So they come on the Maury show and Abraham is there And Abraham is waiting to get the DNA results to see whether he's the father or not, if that makes sense. 
And that's what we're going to do today. Our theme this morning is fake faith is not enough, but Jesus is. Fake faith is not enough, but Jesus is. First point is faith in the Son. Second point is freedom in the Son. And the third point is Father Abraham and the Son. So let's look at faith in the Son. That's the first two verses. I want you to realize that at the end of last week's sermon, we discussed what the nature of true faith is. And the idea was, it seems on verse 30... That as Jesus is proclaiming his identity as the great I am and the son of man from Daniel 7, that many put their faith in him. But as we continue to read, it seems more like what happened at the beginning of the Gospel of John where the Galileans who had come up to the temple put their faith in him, but we are told Jesus did not entrust himself to them for he knows the hearts of men. Because verse 31 tells us, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. He's now turning to their response and begins to describe to them the nature of true faith. He's saying, I know your heart. You don't have faith the way you're called to have faith. Maybe even true faith as defined by the catechism, right? This is the same audience, but it's a mixed bag. Some were willing to accept his claims. But was their faith genuine? Or was it a faith based on their own standards? Jesus intends to do something provocative here. He intends to, in a sense, persuade people not to believe in him. If that makes sense. The key factor being a belief that is grounded In something other than complete devotion to him or acceptance of only parts of him. So Jesus is persuading them not to believe in him in a particular way. Christ wants to show these people that fake faith is not enough. Fake faith is actually keeping them from true spiritual freedom. The most frightful condition you can be in is when you think you are safe but you are not. When you think you have it, but you don't. When you think you're healthy, but you're actually really sick. When you convince yourself it's okay, but it's not. Christ, in love, is not going to allow these Jews to do so. He will not allow them to have a fake faith in him, a semi-affirming faith in him. A, I like these parts of Jesus, but I don't like these parts of Jesus' faith. That's what he's doing here. Therefore, his explanation of the true nature of faith is twofold, and we hear it in verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. There are two words in verse 31 that carry a lot of significance in the Gospel of John. That is, to remain. It's the word that's translated hold here in the NIV. And the other is word, 
which is the word that is translated teaching here in the NIV. So two, twofold, remaining in the word, knowing the truth. Let's look at remaining in the word. Remain is the Greek word meno. And it's the same word that we often think of when we hear that, that famous passage from Jesus, uh, if you abide in me, right? That's the word, abide, remain. It communicates the, the idea of presence, a permanent residing in a specific location. Think about these phrases in the, the Gospel of John. The Father remains in the Son. The Son remains in the Father. The Spirit remains upon Jesus. Jesus. Believers must remain in the Son and He in them. A commentary says the term is depicting a co-participatory existence where the being of the believer is determined or regulated by Jesus. It is the depiction of an intimate relationship. Jesus is saying, you have fake faith. Why? Because you are not close to me. You are not remaining in me. You are not intimate with me. You do not have union with me. But what is Jesus calling these so-called confessors, these so-called believers with scare quotes, right, to remain in? And that is his word. The Greek word for word, of course, many of you may know, is logos. The readers of John's gospel should be instantly keyed into the significance this would carry after reading the prologue. For John Christ is the word. The Word became flesh. The Word was with God. The Word is God. He is the Logos. Another commentator states that it is more than Jesus' intellectual property that he's telling them to remain in, to abide in, to hold on to, right? It must incorporate the sense of co-participatory presence. To remain in my Word is ultimately to remain in the Word. So it would be better to translate this phrase. If you remain in my word, if you abide in my word, if you abide in me, the word, the logos, you are truly disciples. Rather than if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Christ is saying this. That true faith does not only grasp onto the message, the content, but also the person and the work. True faith rests in Christ, his person and his work. True faith is satisfied in the person of Christ and nothing less. True faith rests in the completed work of Christ and nothing more. Question 86 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says something akin to this. It says, what is true faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is, faith in Jesus Christ is saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. That's what it means to remain in his word. Verse 32 then says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Another aspect of true faith then is whether the object of that faith has the ability to set you free. The charge to these new believers, scare quotes, continues when Christ says the result of abiding in him would be that they would know the truth. And the truth would set them free. But what, try, what truth? But excuse me. But what truth is Christ speaking of here? And why is this a liberating truth? Liberating from what? Right. The truth Jesus is telling them about here is more than just his content. 
more than just the gospel. For one cannot separate the message from the message giver. And speaking to his disciples in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the prologue, we are told that grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The truth that he is calling these questionable believers to is the truth that can only be found when one puts aside all self-reliance and clings to all that Christ is. The truth is Christ himself, who he is, what he says, what he's done. He is calling these believers to abandon their false faith, a faith that cannot save or satisfy, cannot free them or give them peace, a faith that cannot even, de- uh, excuse me, a faith that can even deceive them into thinking they have freedom when they really don't. He's trying to tear away everything so that they can truly come to him. For it's only in him that true freedom is found. Fake faith is not enough because it seeks freedom in something that can only bring bondage. Fake faith is not enough because it does not remain in the word. Fake faith is not enough because it replaces Christ with a cheap supplement. Fake faith is not enough because fake faith creates a fake Jesus. And true faith is faith in the Son. But what exactly does Christ grant freedom from? This freedom is a spiritual freedom. This freedom belongs entirely to God and cannot be given by anyone but God. It's the freedom that only comes when one is born from above, from the Spirit. This freedom is explained further in the next part of the passage, verses 33 through 36. Freedom in the Son. That's faith in the Son. Now we're looking at freedom in the Son. Verse, 40, verse 33, the Jews respond by saying, we are Abraham's descendants. The word here is actually seed. We are Abraham's seed and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? There are two things that need to be looked at here in this verse. One is their claim to be the seed of Abraham, and two is their claim that they've never been slaves. Let's look at the first claim. What do they mean by claiming Abraham as their ancestor? This would have been akin to claiming divinely established royalty. They're saying in no unclear terms that they are the special chosen people of God. It's rooted in Old Testament scripture and founded upon centuries of God's covenant faithfulness. So maybe we should be asking ourselves, why exactly is this claim profoundly mistaken? What do they mean by claiming that they've never been enslaved? Let's look at that. Often this is understood as the Jews misunderstanding Christ's words about freedom and taking them in a political sense. So then they posit that they've never been in bondage to anyone. But are they really that ignorant of their own history as a people? They've been enslaved to Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Syria, Persians. And even in that day, they were under the subjection of Rome. No, I would say in this case, the Jews were in part understanding what Christ was saying. They understood that he was speaking of spiritual freedom. And they think to themselves, How dare Christ claim that they do not already have spiritual freedom? They are saying, in spite of political oppression, 
We are the free sons of Abraham, and we have never inwardly, inwardly bowed to any foreign rule. The final part of this verse, how can you say that we, sh- we shall be set free, has a biting and challenging tone to it. Carson states, these believers are already de- demonstrating their own unwillingness to hold to Jesus' teaching, for their sense of inherited privilege is so strong, they can neither acknowledge their own need nor recognize the divine word incarnate before them. Their very words demonstrate their, fla- their slavery in the categories of the next verse. So in the next verses, then, Christ explains what he means by freedom and slavery. So he's, he's created these categories of freedom and slavery, and Christ explains these. Verse 34, he starts by saying, Amen, amen, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, or I tell you the truth. This is a repeated phrase by Christ. It's for emphasis. It's saying that what he's about to say is trustworthy and authoritative. Why is it exactly that he's proclaiming they need freedom? Why is it exactly that he's saying that the only way to have freedom is by having true faith in him? Because slavery is defined not by a person's seed, but by a person's sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is the bondage that these believing Jews are in. Bondage to sin. And Christ is telling them that what they are placing their hope in, that the parts of Jesus that they've accepted and the parts of Jesus that they've left out, that their idea of Jesus cannot free them from that bondage. For Jesus, ultimate bondage is not political or economic. It's rebellion against the God who made us. It's the fact that our natures are bent towards evil, away from God, and love of neighbor. One commentator says, The very law of God that made them a unique people in the world should have also revealed to them their similarity to the world. It should have been through the law that they became conscious of their sin. Yet, instead of using the law for what the law was intended, they've used the law to justify themselves. The law has made them proud rather than humble. We are Abraham's seed. We've never been enslaved to anyone. So in response, then, Jesus uses a metaphor, an illustration that turns the tables on them. They believe, you see, that they are the true sons of Abraham. But in reality, they are slaves. And so Jesus says the slave is not actually a member of the household. The slave belongs to the family, but does not belong in the family. But a son belongs to the family forever. He has an inheritance. He is a true and lasting member. He is the one that actually belongs. His place in the family is settled In this metaphor, Christ is the Son. Christ is saying, He is the true Israel. He is the one that can rightfully claim that He is the seed of Abraham. And He is saying that even though these Jews are at this moment slaves, as the true Son of the Father, 
He can offer them and grant them freedom. He's saying there's a freedom that does not belong to you. And it's freedom from the tyranny of sin. They don't have it in Abraham. They cannot get it in their precious law. They can only get it from him. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So are these believers going to heed the words of Christ here? Are they going to put aside their false confidence in a Savior that cannot save? Are they going to continue to hold on to something they believe gives them freedom but only gives them bondage? Are they going to look to the Christ, the true Christ, the real Christ, the Christ in front of them, and ask Him to save them from their sin? When we've looked at faith in the Son, we've looked at freedom in the Son, but let's look at what Father Abraham has to say about the Son. Father Abraham and the Son covers the last verses of our passage this morning, verses 37 through 41. Let's look at 37 and 38. After clarifying to his listeners what Christ meant by freedom and slavery, Christ then goes on to clarify his definition of being descendants of Abraham or seed, the seed of Abraham. The word, of course, is seed. It's meant to bring to the mind the idea of procreation. In one place, Jesus acknowledges the uniqueness of the Jewish people in the plan of God while also declaring to them to be enslaved to sin. In the same way, here he can acknowledge that they are indeed born of the seed of Abraham, yet still need a new birth. They have to be born again. Verse 37 says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. How can Christ know this? That they need to be born again because their actions testify to the dispositions of their hearts. They're trying to kill him. These are believers trying to kill him. One commentator describes this act as a kind of spiritual insanity. The suicidal actions of an insane person with the seed of Abraham trying to kill the seed of Abraham. Why are they trying to do this? Because they have no room for the logos. They have no room for the person and work of Jesus. The literal translation of verse 37 could say, My word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. They don't understand what it means to be a true Jew. Physical descent is insufficient. Spiritual descent is of far more importance to Christ. So on the Maori show, Abraham, you are not the father. For a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code. Who said that? Paul, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. That's not the only place you can find that Jeremiah, the prophet, said the same thing in the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophet, said the same thing 
in the Old Testament. He is not a Jew. He is one outwardly. Jesus, as the true son, the capital S seed of Abraham, is simply telling these Jews what he has seen and heard in the Father's presence. The prologue once again tells us no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John chapter 1, verse 18, Christ is the exegeter of the Father. So if these believers, scare quotes, claim to have the Father through Abraham, then they should accept what Jesus has to say. For, of course, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But Christ says something else entirely. If he, by his actions and words, Jesus, is shown to be the true Son who reveals his Father, then, by these believers' actions and words, they show themselves to be sons of an entirely different Father. Like Father, like Son. In Christ's case, it reveals that his father is the heavenly father. In these Jews' case, it reveals that they have a much more dark and sinister father. Verse 38, I'm telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Their response, Abraham is our father. They seem to grasp that Christ is questioning their paternity. So they reiterate again what they said in verse 37. But their claim could be even more clearly a declaration that they do measure up. They are asserting their rights even more pridefully. They are saying that they believe Abraham would be proud of them. Jesus' response is now going beyond the difference of spiritual and moral kinship as opposed to physical descent. That matter has been established Now he deals directly with their actions and behaviors which are contrary to their claim to call Abraham father. How does he respond? He says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. Like father, like son. But what exactly is it that Abraham did that these Jews are not doing? According to Genesis 26, verses 4 and 5, God said to Isaac, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. But more importantly, Abraham did something these believers are not doing. He had true faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 through 10 tells us that Abraham, by faith, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11, verse 19 tells us that in offering Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. 
This is the central claim of Christ, that he had come to die and be raised from the dead. Abraham believed this, and these Jews before Christ, claiming Abraham as their father, they will not. Instead, they are looking for a way to kill Jesus. They're looking for a way to kill the proclaimer of the truth of God. They're like the Baal worshippers of Israel's past seeking to kill the prophet of Yahweh, Lord. So if Abraham is not their father, their father must be someone else. The Jews sense that Christ is in some way seeking to delegitimize their lineage as the people of God and rid them of their birthright. And so they respond. We are not illegitimate children. In this case, if Jesus will not allow them, Abraham as their father, they think he cannot deny us God. The only father we have is God himself. In this encounter, we discover that Father Abraham is on the side of Christ. In this encounter, it is seen that Father Abraham looks to the son in faith. The contrast is that these believing Jews look to Father Abraham in faith seeking to legitimize their spirituality when their spiritual father is actually looking to Christ. Christ won't let them do that. Because fake faith is not enough. Only he is. Only he is. So how do I want to close the sermon this morning? I have a question for you. I have a question for you. If if fake faith is not enough, but Jesus is, If in this encounter we see that Christ in love is seeking to eradicate all types of false faith and fake faith so that they can come to him in true faith, what should be our response? Here's the question. What is your Abraham? Who is your Abraham? What is your Abraham? What do I mean by that? For these Jews who believed, their Abraham was something that they put their pride in. And they said, well, we've been Jews and and we've lived according to God's law. And these were the things that they put their faith in, their hope in, their trust in. And they thought, these are the things that are going to make me right before God when Jesus Christ, the only thing that can make you right before God, was standing right in front of them. I think there's two responses that we can have to that question. What's your Abraham, okay? Because I don't want you to think that what I'm doing here is accusing all of you of having fake faith. That might be the case, but that's not my, that's not my job. The first response is this, is, is maybe that you're, you're a believer who does have true faith in Christ. But like us all, You struggle to keep him the focus of your faith and your hope. Maybe I can give you an example. An example would be something like you have this hope and this desire that this vacation you're going to go on soon is going to be finally what gives you rest and peace and fulfillment. And I don't know if any of you realize this, but you go on that vacation 
And what, what do you feel when you come back from that vacation? You feel dread, right? Because you're like, I got to get back to life. Life is waiting there. And you know what? I feel more tired after going on this vacation than I did before the vacation. And so you're putting hope, you're putting trust, you're putting peace into something that cannot give because that's a fake Jesus. That's a fake faith. Or maybe you think, if I just get this next promotion or this next bit of education, I'll finally make enough money that I will be at peace and I can have true, lasting peace. That's a fake faith. That's putting your faith in something that cannot satisfy. It cannot, that's an Abraham when Christ is in front of you. You see what I'm getting at? See what I'm getting at? That's, the, that's one person. That's someone who does have true faith but is distracted by the things of this world, is distracted by things that you're putting your hope and your faith and your trust in that cannot satisfy. And here's the proper response for that person, if that's you. It's repentance and it's renewal. It's saying, Jesus, I know only you can satisfy. Jesus, I can't put my faith in my Dutch heritage or how many lines of families have been Christians or how we've always been Christians and that's just what we've done. The only thing that we can put our faith and our trust and our hope in is Christ. That's true faith. And anything else is fake faith. But you may be the second person. You may be the second person who has fake faith but prides themselves in all kinds of outward Christian behaviors. That in, the, in, in this case, she would be more like the Jews in this passage. An example would be family tradition. We've always been Christians. I've always gone to church. An example would be if I were to ask you what makes you right before the Lord, the Father in heaven. And it is such a very human thing to be tempted to say things like church attendance, financial contributions. I've always been a Christian. I read my Bible. I pray. These, are, these things are nicer because they're quantifiable, aren't they? We can actually count them. And some of us like that. And, and, and if you are that person who has fake faith and you're putting your trust and you're putting all your pride in, in outward Christian behaviors, what is your response? Your response would be something like the Jews in this passage, agitation and anger. So if you are getting angry at what is being discussed this morning, Instead of repenting and renewing, then my my earnest and loving request to you is that you would throw away all the things that you prided yourself in if they are not Christ. And that you would look to Christ alone 
for your spiritual standing. That you would get rid of your Abrahams so that you can have true satisfaction, rest, peace in Christ who is the true Israel, the seed of Abraham. Which one are you? Which one will you be? Will you see Christ in this passage tearing down all barriers these believers have to true faith in him and embrace him for all that he is, revealing yourself to be of the seed of Abraham? Or will you stubbornly proclaim that you don't need what Christ is offering because you feel you already have it, revealing yourself to have a different father entirely? I pray, I pray that you would be the true believer with true faith. And embrace Christ and all that he has for you this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to receive it. And help us to get rid of all fake face and false face that we may have and that we may cling to. So that we can come to your son, Jesus Christ. And love him and embrace him and receive from him all the benefits that we have through salvation in him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.